All right, church. Good morning, everyone. I know there's not a lot of people here yet. It always fills in, but let's give me a better good morning than that. Good morning, church. Yes, come on. Even a few people can make a lot of noise. So stand with me this morning. I'm going to do the call to worship. But something I felt just in my spirit as I was praying this morning, uh, sometimes I'll ask the Lord, is there a word for the service? Is there something in particular that you, Lord, want us to hear or to see or to know? And I just felt the word clarity. Clarity. And it just kept coming over and over. Clarity, clarity, clarity. And I was, Lord, what do you mean by clarity? And it could mean in many of different things. It could be clarity on a situation. Maybe there's wisdom that you need. Maybe there's some clarity you need and to be revealed the devil's schemes that he's been working against you and clarity will come. Maybe there's clarity you need if there's a job promotion or something that needs to, you know, a decision you need to make. Clarity in that situation. So I want you guys, all of us, those watching online as well, to come expecting to get an answer and to get some clarity for whatever's happening in your life. Amen? Can we do that this morning? Okay, uh, we're going to do this call to worship together. I'm just going to read it today because uh, it's a little bit longer. Uh, so I just want you guys just to receive this as I read it out loud. It's out of Psalm 138. It says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Heavenly Father, great, great are you, Lord. We worship you this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for clarity, for whatever situation that we're facing. Maybe we get clarity this morning on something we didn't know we needed clarity on, and that you reveal to us the things that have been hidden in the darkness because when your light shines on it, it's exposed. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for your light, for your word, for your goodness, for the freedom and joy and peace that can only come from you. And so we enter into your presence today, into your courts with thanksgiving. We give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Just keep getting the word clarity. Here when we started, we just I felt like the Lord was saying clarity this morning. And maybe it's clarity on what this table means and Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. I don't know what clarity you need in your life this morning, but I am certain the Lord wants to provide it today. You know, Jesus is the God who opens blind eyes. And that blind eyes is not just physical, but it's spiritual. And sometimes it's emotional. And it can mean a variety of different things. But I know for a fact he wants to open blind eyes this morning, church. If you're here this morning, this is for somebody. This is for multiple people. This is for myself. 
I wasn't going to do this scripture, but now I'm going to read it anyway. Out of Luke 24. I've read this before, before taking communion. This was the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking with Jesus, and they don't realize it's Jesus yet. It says, when they drew near to the village where they were going, he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is spent. And he went in to stay with them. Abide. They made a choice. They asked. They said, let us abide. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and then he vanished from their sights. Church, as we take communion this morning, blind eyes will be opened in Jesus' name. Clarity will come. I had this sense of a fog being lifted. If you ever notice, when it's foggy, it's normally not sunny out. The sun is not shining. But when the sun comes out, the fog has to go. I don't know if that's like scientific or not, but it feels right. But it's a biblical truth, because I'm not talking about that sun, and I'm not talking about that fog. I'm talking about from a biblical standpoint, when the sun is revealed in your life, and when he shines and illuminates in every area of your life, the fog that was once there can no longer stay, and it has to leave. So we're going to take communion together. So I told Pastor Jason this morning, I told the Lord this morning, if you have something for me, I will be obedient and I'll share it. <clears throat> I'm not going to work real hard to kind of stir something up or try to be something or, you know, be super, you know, spiritual. If you've got something for me, I'll share it. So as you're sharing, I sit down and I, I like to move a piece of paper. I move the piece of paper and it's like the Lord put this in my hand. Ruby Lou wrote this during worship she's eight and I just felt like I should share it before we move to receive the elements it says Lord you love us more than anything and we love you you love us more than every star and you love us more than every little grain of sand you are the best I would never worship anything else you never leave us and I think everyone should just worship you Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will heal everyone who needs healing. And I know you will, because you are God, and you love us more than anything. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So can we come to the table of the Lord? Can we know? Can we know that he loves us more than every star? More than every magnificent piece of creation? That, we, that our eyes fall upon out there, that we are more valuable, we're more beautiful, we're more precious to him than all of those things. Can we come to the table and can we receive that kind of love this morning? Let's come to the table and receive our elements and circle back to your chairs and then we'll take it together. 
Church, I truly believe as we take communion, our eyes will be opened to more of Him, more of His love towards us, more of His grace towards us. Somebody here this morning needs to have grace for themselves today and receive the grace that the Lord has provided for them. Receive it today. We're going to receive these elements. Receive the grace, what He paid for on the cross. Jesus came and died because He loved us so much. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for clarity in every situation in our lives. But most of all, we thank You for the clarity to know who You are and what You've done for us. Father, I thank You that You're revealing that even in a greater measure this morning. Father, I truly believe that you, the word you gave this morning is that as we receive this communion, our eyes will be opened to know you on even a greater level, to see things which we didn't see before. Father, we thank you for that. We receive that. Communion is the believer's celebration of the Lord's Supper, of his sacrifice on our behalf. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, Take, eat. This is My body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us partake. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let us partake. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your goodness, for your love. We worship you today. In your name we pray. Everybody stand up with me. We're going to continue to worship. We got the altars will be open. And let me say this this morning. If you need clarity in your life on anything, I believe the Lord has either already given it or is working to give it and will give it during this last song. So I highly suggest you come up here this morning. The altar is open. Come and thank him for already receiving the answer. Or come and just believe and receive the answer that he has for you for that clarity today. That the fog will be lifted. And as I was reading that scripture for communion, the Lord reminded me that the story I gave before communion in Luke 24 was after Jesus' resurrection. It was after the resurrection. He already modeled what it meant to be in communion with him in taking the bread and taking the wine and that they did it after his resurrection and eyes were opened. Guess what, guys? We're post-resurrection. 
We're living in the New Testament. We're living post-resurrection, which means we're living in the time that eyes are opening. And every time we partake in that covenant, we have freedom and liberty and joy and peace in abundance. Amen? Amen. So let's worship him. If you need clarity on anything, just come up here and spend some time with him. How are we all doing? Amen. How many are happy? Pastor Jimmy so always says, I'm happy I came to church today. How many are happy we came to church today? Amen. God is good. Well, I'm going to do the announcements today, because um, there's only a few, <clears throat> and I'm just going to stay up here and do offering anyway. Uh, the first one is we do have, not next week, but the week after, so in two weekends, uh, we're having our child uh, dedication. And so we just ask that if you have a, have a child or know of someone who attends our church who maybe isn't here today, to reach out to them and let them know. We'll probably put it on Facebook as well. Uh, but we need to know if that child or baby is getting dedicated by next Sunday, the 19th. So we kind of have one week left. We need to get the names. Uh, I think we asked for names, the full names and the, the date of birth, uh, which I'm not even sure we really use all that much just for information. And then a picture. We'd like to have a picture as well, because we're going to put pictures up uh, of those little ones. And again, I just want to remind you guys, it can be a child as well. Many people start attending church, and maybe they didn't have their children dedicated uh, before, and it's an opportunity to do that. Now, I will say this. this is, it's really for us as a church, and for the parents and the guardians as the family, because what we're doing is we're making a commitment to partner together, parents and church together in partnership to raise this child together. And that's what that dedication is all about. Uh, there's no, you know, nothing with water we're not doing. It's not like a baptism or anything. It's truly about a partnership together uh, with the parents and raising uh, the child together. So that's coming up here in two weeks. So we have one more week to get registered for that. Uh, then the next announcement is next Sunday. Uh, but next Sunday is youth night. So we will have youth night next Sunday, uh, 6th through 12th grade. We are going to go back. We've been doing it outside. I believe we are going back downstairs into the, into the youth room downstairs on this building. Actually, that building out there. But we will be downstairs. It's always the third Sunday of the month. And then I just want to announce that Paul Luciano's life group will not be happening next Sunday. So I know somebody, a few people had questions on that. That will happen in October, but is not happening in September. But we're still having youth night. Uh, 6 to 8 p.m., uh, which is always an exciting time. We've been doing bonfires outside, but we're going back inside uh, this, this month. And then the last announcement I have is for Breakthrough Weekend. We've been talking about this because it's coming close. It's only two weeks away. So Breakthrough Weekend is a joint conference here locally put on by about five churches. It's going to be hosted at Erie First Assembly, which is a church right off of Route 90. While you're driving, you see it. It's going to stay on the right side because that's where I see it. If you're headed east, you see it on the right side. If you're headed west, it would be on your left side. Uh, but you can see the church from Route 90. That's where that church is. So we just encourage everybody to sign up. And it's $20 a person or $30 per family. Uh, we're encouraging young people to go as well. Uh, in fact, we want to make sure as we can get as many youth signed up as we can. If you want more information on it, <clears throat> there's a little brochure. Looks like this. It's on the back table right there. You want to grab one. And if you want to register by mail instead of registering online, because sometimes people still register by mail, uh, there's a piece of paper in the back as well. It looks like this. You can grab it, write all your information on it, you know, put it in an envelope, and send it to, uh, 
wherever. The address hopefully is on there. It does. It says it on there. And you send it there just to get registered. We're believing for 500 people to go to this conference. I have no idea what number we're at uh, at the moment. I probably should, but I don't. Uh, so that, is, that conference is coming up in two weekends. So you, uh, you can sign up right to the last minute, but don't wait. Just get signed up, get a spot, get in and get ready to go. Amen? Okay. Uh, I'm missing my... I'm missing something. Let me do offering. That's okay. I already know what the offering is anyway. I have a scripture this morning out of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Did I get it right, Grace? See that? Look at that. I remember. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to read this to you. We've been working through our offering uh, kind of in a, in a sequential version here through 2 Corinthians 9. There's so many great scriptures in there about giving, about offering. Uh, and this is the one I selected, kind of the next one in order. It says, but I say... But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And sometimes we read that, and at least I read, I just kind of blast by it, and I don't even think much about it. Like, sure, yeah, you know, uh, I want to be a big giver, and so the Lord, wait a second, is, is that why we give? Do we give in abundance just so we can get abundance back? Absolutely not. That's not the reason we give. We give because our hearts are turned towards the Lord. And the Lord says he wants a cheerful giver. And he commands us to give. And we need to follow his commands. But here's what, I'm, here's what I see. It does, it, this, this principle works on a, every level. If you want to sow dissension, and you sow in a lot of dissension, guess what, guys? You will reap a lot of dissension in your life. This principle works on many a different things. And if you want to sow sparingly in love and kindness towards others, guess what? You will see in your life that kindness and love towards you is actually quite sparing. And so this principle works not just for finances, and I know we use it a lot for offering, but I want you guys to understand, this works for every area of our life. Our marriages with our children, with our relationships in every area. So let's pray over our offering this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are working and moving in our lives, in our finances, in our relationships, in our church, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are generous. Father, you are generous to us, Lord. You were so generous that you sent your Son to die for our sins to pay the ultimate price, the sacrifice for our sins. Nothing could be more generous than that. So, Father, we thank you for every bill being paid, every need being met. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the abundance, not so we could have more, but so we can distribute more. So, Father, I thank you for a bountifully reaping harvest in finances so that we can see a bountifully reaping harvest of souls. Lord, and we just want to be distributors of the funds that you have given us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Luke 17. This is where we've been starting through our series on offenses uh, each week. And I'm going to read it again just to keep us uh, in remembrance of what that is. Uh, but we are on week four. We're on week four of offenses uh, and what they are, what they look like. 
Uh, the first week, we just talked about them in general. We called it the scandalon, which was the Greek word that is used for offenses in the Bible, which basically means the trap. There's the bait that sits in the trap, and that's what the offense is. And so an offense will lead us into this trap if we allow it, and then we get stuck in the trap. And that's what traps are made for, aren't they? Right? How many put up mice traps here coming in the fall? Everyone get ready. I'm not, you know... I'm not saying anything about animals or activists, whatever. I'm saying I use mouse traps at the house. They're not very kind, but that's what it is. And you understand, I put them there for the sake of catching something. Do you not? I mean, who places traps all around for no reason? Like, oh, I'm just going to put some traps around so that I might step on it periodically. Of course not. You put traps so you catch something. An offense is there for you to get, a, to get caught in the trap. To get you in there. In fact, where do you put traps normally? At least where I don't put them out in the open. Mm. I put them in the dark places. In the secret places where I know those little mice might be coming in. To try to get to that smelling peanut butter. Ah, yes. The bait of offense. The bait of Satan, that trap, sometimes it smells so good, doesn't it? And it's usually in the darkness, right? It's usually in those dark places where we get caught in those traps. Because when the light's shining on something, we see it real clearly. We're just like, hmm, I ain't going to take that offense. I see that real clearly. But it's when we don't see it coming. And we have to be aware of what they are and how to deal with them. And then in the second week, we talked about how not to give one. And I'm going to read here in Luke, it says, Woe to him through whom an offense will come. And so we did some training and and just what the Bible says about how not to give an offense. So, you know, it doesn't mean we change our personality. It doesn't mean we change who we are. It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. Because part of the whole process of being able to not give an offense is we have to speak the truth. We actually have to speak the truth, whether everyone likes it or not, but we have to speak the truth in love. And that's how we have to approach, just as Jesus approached, speaking the truth, living a life of truth in love. And then last week, we talked about how to avoid the trap. What strategies does the Bible show us that we can avoid the trap? We looked at the life of Joseph. We talked about what he did, what his brothers did to him, goodness sakes. And then what he got, what happened in Potiphar's house, what happened with the Pharaoh. I mean, just chance after chance after chance after chance to take that bait, to be offended, to take out his brothers, to be ticked off. I mean, look, guys, if that happened to me, God, God bless Joseph, man. I'll tell you what. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank goodness for that example. We know he wasn't perfect. We know the Bible is filled with imperfect people. Come on, guys. Abraham, lying, right? Moses, running, right? I mean, all David, shall I go any further for those who know the story of David? Oh, scandalous. Are you kidding? But that was a man after God's own heart. So we can't sit here and say, you know what? I'm just not qualified, not good enough. Not No, he uses unqualified people because we are all unqualified because of what he has done. So we looked at that life of Joseph and had those strategies on how to hold on to our dreams, hold on to the word of God and what the word of God says, not what anybody else says, so that we could not take the bait. 
Well, this morning I want to talk about what do we do when we already took the bait? Come on, church. Some of you probably are already still stuck in the trap some, in certain cases. Some of you are sitting here and you may you'd be like, oh, I'm not. If you say, if, as I said that if you did one of these, I ain't stuck in no trap. You're probably stuck in a trap. Because I think you really need to be reflective this morning on was there any bait that was presented and you took it and now you're stuck in the trap and I want to talk this morning about how do I get out of it? Right? The trap doesn't mean you have to die right away. <laughs> There's a way to get out of the trap and that's what I want to share this morning. So Luke 17, verse 1 says this, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Are you living? Are you breathing? Offenses will come. That's the summary. That's like the Jason's interpretation, Pastor Jason's interpretation of that scripture. If you're living, you're breathing, offenses will come. But woe to him who through, the, who, through whom they do come, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. We talked about that already. We won't go back to that. That he should offend one of these little ones. Little ones there does not mean little kids. It means believers, young believers actually. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Maybe a hint towards something, a way to get out of the trap here. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we not take the bait? How do we, oh, that's the last thing. How do we escape the trap? Because a lot of times we're in it, right? Sometimes it happens so fast. You know how fast my traps go off when I'm catching mice? The, the, I mean, I haven't seen it happen. I don't need to, you know, no one needs a YouTube to watch it happen unless you want to. But basically it happens very, very, very fast. Because if it happens slow, oh, look, a trap's coming. I'm going back out of that trap. I'm smarter than that guy, right? No, 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 no. The trap activates immediately. And so many times in our life, an offense, an opportunity to be offended has come. And man, oh, we got it. We're in it. And we're stuck. And we have to understand how do we get out of this. Now let me say this. Many of us have the right to be offended. You're like, wait, what? I thought you just told me we shouldn't be offended. No, what I'm saying is we have the right to be offended. Do you know that we serve a God of choice? Come on, guys. Because there are things that I know have happened to many people sitting in this congregation, and I would tell you, you have every right to be offended that somebody did that to you. Are you kidding me? Your father treated you that way? That's ridiculous. You have every right. You got abused by your husband? You have every right to be offended. And we always have the right to be offended. We have the right to choose God or to not choose him. And so sometimes I'm not, I don't want to belittle the fact that, oh, yeah, I just make, oh, offenses will come. No, there is some legit stuff that happens in people's life that you have every right to be offended. We always have the right because God has given us free will. When we made Jesus our Lord and Savior, what happened? We had access to abundant life. We have access to abundant life because of Jesus. 
And guess what? We don't get to stay. I was talking to somebody at the break. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do it. You will follow my commandments. You will follow my commands. If you love me, which means we can't stay in unforgiveness. We can't stay in bitterness. I mean, we, have, we can choose that, but what the Lord's saying is you can't stay there. He doesn't want us to stay there. You have the right to stay there. You can choose to stay there, but he wants to move us out of that. Here's what I have learned over the course of some years, because I do it too. I categorize sins. Come on, guys. We categorize sins. We got the big ones. Woo, the big ones. Adultery, murder. And you're sitting here like, mm-mm, I haven't done any of those things. Those are the big sins. Yet we take other sins, which are still sins, and we, you know, I just, I told a little white lie there. It's all right. You know, that person did that to me. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm never going to forgive them. Maybe somebody said gossip. It's on my list. Or maybe, you know what I mean? I, I heard this one thing that happened, and let me share this, you know, with somebody else. And we begin to gossip about something because we have no idea the facts of the situation. What if as a church, what if as a church we would treat gossip like we do adultery? Or unforgiveness like we do murder. Come on, church. Imagine if, our, if we would change our viewpoint on sin and not categorize as these are the big sins, these are the little sins. And I can walk in this little sin because this one's not too bad. You know, it's just, it's not really, everyone does it. So it must be okay. But what if we looked at unforgiveness like murder? You'd be like, you shall never murder. Come on. We stand up against abortion. We stand up for this and people's rights. And murder is bad. And we need righteous judgment on those who murder. What if we did the same about unforgiveness? Y'all be like, nah, I don't want to be a part of that. But the Bible says we have to forgive. I was watching. Look, and I know it's not easy. So after church, I think maybe, maybe you were looking at something on Facebook and I was, you know, ever I, was, I don't look at social media, so I was doing one of those, hmm, what's that? That looks interesting. And it was this woman who was trained to get out of, like, bad situations. Like, where she was, like, tied up, or an assault, somebody came after her, or whatever it was. And it was this video of her going through and being able to get out of those situations. And this morning, I'm telling you that when we get stuck in that trap of offense... It takes work to get out. I was watching, this woman was sweating. Like her, her arms were tied up with like duct tape and she was on a chair and she's working and sweating and moving and trying to get out. And at some point, in order to break free from the trap in which she was in, she had to pull her hands up and boom, she had to blast them down through and she broke the duct tape off and she was free. And I was like, man, that looks uncomfortable. That looks like a lot of work. And the Lord was like, hmm, there's a sermon illustration for you to use next week. Because getting out of the trap, think of that poor mouse, right? Ah, right? Getting out of that is difficult and is effort. 
and takes sweat and hard work. So I'm not belittling that this is just like, ah, you got stuck in a trap, just walk out of it. I understand that it's hard. It's hard to do, and I want to help you with that this morning. I've got examples in my own life. I'm going to just briefly share one with you from a previous employer. I worked at GE for about a decade, and man, I have multiple stories I could tell uh, of me taking offense and it not going well. Uh, But one of the stories is I had this guy that I worked with, and I won't use his name uh, in case he's watching online, Uh, but I had this guy that I worked with, and it was like... I don't know what it was, but everything that he said, like, offended me. It was just like, hmm. And it was just like, every time he would say something or do something, I began to put it through this filter like he was saying it, like, to me. Right? He would be like, yeah, well, I can't believe that so-and-so is doing this or this is allowing this to happen. But it was in my organization. And I always felt as though this person was attacking me over and over and over. Every time he would say something, I would, man, I was stuck in that trap. And once I was in the trap, every time he would say something more, I just basked in the trap. I was like, mm, yeah, right? Like once you're in it and more comes at you, sometimes you just like to stay there. How many of you sometimes we know we like to stay there sometimes? But God doesn't want us to stay there. And I remember making a decision at some point in time that I was just going to be, you know what? This guy is who he is. He's not going to change. It's not my job to change him. It's not my job to change him. I'm going to forgive him. And in fact, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to ask him about his kids, even though I didn't want to. I'm going to talk to him about working out, even though, man, I do not want to hear his story about bench pressing 400 pounds again. Of course, the guy could crush me at any moment, and that was fine. I understood that in the physical And I just decided that I'm going to forgive him. That doesn't mean we forget. Understand for a second. Just because we forgive doesn't mean we forget. I'm not asking you to forget things that have happened to you. Only God can help you work through forgetting some of those things. But what I am saying is we have to forget. And my relationship with that person began to change. My relationship with that person from a work perspective began to change. I actually enjoyed being around him more. He actually stopped saying things that seemed like they were subtle subtle attacks on me or my team. And I realized what had changed was the day I decided to forgive him. And that I decided that I wasn't going to be able to change him. No matter how much I pushed back, called out his whatever, didn't matter. But when I decided to forgive him and then begin to bless him, the relationship completely changed. So what does Jesus say about this? What does the Bible say about forgiveness? Let's look at this for a minute. Uh, I have a bunch of scriptures up there uh, today, so you guys can write them down, but you can follow them uh, along here. Mark 11, verse 22. I'm going to read all the way down through 26, because most of us stop at 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. We get amens 
right? For assuredly, I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, will have whatever he says. And this is where the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, we start jumping up and down. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Move the mountain, miracles occurring. Yes, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, that's good. I'm with you. I'm usually doing that with you. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, verse 24, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. We just have to believe and we receive and mountains move and we're so excited and then Jesus keeps talking. Now, I'm sure this was a separate thought. I'm sure that what he said, he didn't really mean it. He just meant move the mountains and be happy and all this other stuff and believe in God and have faith in God and you're good. Nope. He keeps talking. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, wait, we just were praying. We just were standing and talking to mountains. We just, wait, wait, we were just doing those things. We were just standing. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. You mean in order to move mountains, I may have to operate in forgiveness in my life? Yes. But look at this. It gets worse. (laughs) Forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Like, wait a second. Not only do I have to forgive because of mountain moving, but I have to forgive so that God forgives me too. He's like, wait a second. I thought I was saved by grace and that I can do anything that I ever want. I don't have to do anything. You know, blah, blah, blah. No. No, yes, you are saved by grace. Yes, Jesus paid the price for your sins. Yes, God forgives you. But look at this. It's the same thing with like the measure in which you forgive, you will be forgiven. And when he's referencing here, maybe he's talking about the Bema, the judgment seat that happens in Corinthians. I don't know the specific exact how this fits in from that perspective. When does this actually occur for us? Because I know once we made Jesus our Lord and Savior, he has forgiven us of our sins. But look at this. This is legit. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. What? This is not optional, is basically what this is saying. Forgiveness is not optional. Staying offended is not optional. He wants you out of the trap. He wants to get you out of the trap. And then you say, well, you know what? The Bible, you know, kind of interprets the Bible. So maybe this was just a one-off scripture, right? It's one of those one-off, Pastor Jason, totally out of context. Show me where else it might talk about forgiving others. Let's go to Matthew 6. Yep, it's there. Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Just what we kind of we were talking about back in Mark. We pray, we believe, we have faith in God, we receive, but then we have to what? There's also forgiveness as God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We love this stuff. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not wrong to love this stuff because I'm with you. Like, I love this stuff. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive. As we forgive our debtors. As, that means like they're linked together, 
That means, again, as a Christian, as one who follows Jesus and obeys his commands, we are commanded to forgive. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we stop there. That's the Lord's Prayer. Verse 14. Because guess what? Jesus keeps talking. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Oh no, Scripture interpreting Scripture. It's happening. I actually have to do it. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Holy smoke. This is basically saying this is not an optional thing to walk with the Lord. One more, as if you weren't already convinced. Luke 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, And it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In the same measure in which we forgive, we are also forgiven. So what do I do, Pastor Jason? This is fantastic. What do I do? Step one. Actually, I have points on the overhead today. I don't know if you'll like it or not. I don't normally do that. Point one. Grace. Remember the price of forgiveness. I always see people writing down and then I never give them a chance to write it down. So this week. Now don't don't be offended if I don't do it next week. Okay? I've already done that teaching. You don't have to take that trap. Anyway, for this week, remember the price of forgiveness. Church, remember the price of forgiveness. Remember the price that Jesus paid for your forgiveness. This is first and foremost the first step to being able to forgive. We have to remember what Jesus did for us. 1 John 1 verse 8 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2, starting in verse 1, says this, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the world. Do you know the price that Jesus paid for your forgiveness? I'm not asking you to watch the Passion of the Christ every week. But honestly, could we remember periodically what he did for you and for me? The price that he paid for forgiveness. And when we put anything that happens to us in that context, it makes it a little bit easier to say, you know what? Jesus forgave me for what I've done. I too can also forgive. To forgive means to set forth, to send away, to completely cancel debts or sins. How many are happy that that happened for you in your life? How many of you know you're not perfect? 
And everyone you deal with is not perfect. Which means we also have to be ready and able and willing to be able to forgive. To receive forgiveness, this is a forgiveness, we receive forgiveness indicates this, it's just called the remission, the release or dismissal of sin and the punishment due to the sinful conduct. We have been released from the punishment that was due to us. Hell, death, eternity, separated from God. Sounds horrible, it is. That price was paid for us. Releasing us from that, we too must release others. Corey Ten Boom said this, and maybe we know who Corey Ten Boom is. Okay, if you don't, you can look her up. I'm not explaining it. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Couldn't say it better myself. I encourage you this morning, look back at your own life. What have you seen God deliver you from, move you out of, to make you more whole, delivering you from situation after situation because of his love and his forgiveness? There was a cost for forgiveness, Revelations 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. His own blood paid the price. Jesus gave his life to save us from what we deserve. Point number two. Forgive and you will be forgiven. We looked at those scriptures. God says it over and over to us. Says that we've all been contaminated by sin. We've all fallen short of His perfect standard. That scripture in Matthew 6, 14 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And the reason why God commands us to do that, not because it means we don't get to heaven. What it means is that He understands there are consequences to holding on to unforgiveness. There are consequences proven medically, spiritually, physically, emotionally linked. to. There are consequences to this. You can read about them in Isaiah 59. I don't have that verse up there, verses 1 through 3. Or in Psalm 32, verses 3 through 7. C.S. Lewis said this. Well, I don't normally quote people. This is like a double. I'm quoting two people here today. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. He says, There is no slightest suggestion that we are offered forgiveness on any other terms. It's made perfectly clear that if we do not forgive, we shall not be forgiven. There are no two ways about it. And the Lord understands why it's so important that we have do this. Some of you may be here this morning and you haven't forgiven yourself. So I thought we were talking about forgiving others. Well, we are, but many of us are stuck because we haven't actually forgiven ourselves yet. 
The key to loving our neighbor is we have to what? We got to love ourselves first. We have to learn how we also need to be able to forgive ourselves. We can't dwell in unforgiveness towards ourselves. I'd encourage you to write something down that maybe you feel like you haven't forgiven yourself of. And then read it. Ask the Lord, say, Lord, you have forgiven me for this. I am forgiving myself for this. And then throw it in the trash can. The next thing we need to do to get out of the trap when we're stuck in it is to guard our mouth. Mm. Because we may be walking out of the trap and then something comes out of our mouth and it sticks us right back in that trap. Proverbs 18.21 says this. That's point number three. Guard your mouth. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power. We have to guard our mouth. To get out of that trap when we're stuck in it, we have to watch the words that we're saying. I mean literally. Watch the words that you're saying. Because it's an indicator of where your heart is. I forgave that person. I forgave that person a long time ago. Yet the words that are coming out of your mouth, as they're an overflow of your heart, will be an indicator to you whether or not you've actually forgiven that person or not. If you are speaking ill will, if you're wishing and hoping harm for that person, if you're just like, "Mm, yep, they had that coming, whoa. If you've ever said they had that coming, that means you have not truly forgiven that person yet in your heart. And it's an indicator for you that you're still actually stuck in that trap. You truly haven't. I told you it's hard, remember? To break out of that trap. It is hard work to get out. The Bible says there are seven things that he hates. Yeah? Six things he despised, seven things that he hates. In fact, I think I may have that scripture up here. Do I have that up there, Grace, somewhere? Is it behind me? Okay, let me read through this. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. Keep going, girl. A proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. Should be one more. Is there one more part of that? Okay. So there should be more, though. Keep going. Give me 19. Can you give me verse 19? All right, hold on. Because what I want you to see is of these seven things, three of them are things that are coming out of our mouth. I don't see adultery up there. Yeah, there's about plotting evil and these other things. A false witness who speaks lies, look at this, and one who sorts discord among brethren. So if you list the six and you think the seven one is the, bet, like the one that if he's ranking sins, I'm not saying he is, but if he's ranking them, six are bad, seventh one is horrible, the seventh one is sowing discord among brethren. How do you sow discord among brethren? With your mouth and your actions and gossip and unforgiveness and these things that we spew out of our mouths. So it is super important to get out of that trap by guarding our mouth. 
The words that we say can either keep us in the trap or help us get out. Now, the difficult thing is here, and I know you're all saying, do I have to fake it till I make it? You don't don't understand what I'm saying, right? Do I just start saying the words that I think I should say in the hopes that eventually my attitude will change towards it? If you think that will help, yes. Yeah, come on. I'm not saying you need to be unreal or untruthful or, you know what, I'm a person of the truth and, like, I will never say anything. But sometimes we need to begin to train our minds and our thoughts to begin to say things that the Lord wants us to say, even if we're not quite ready to fully embrace them or believe them. So if you think that will help, I would encourage you to do it. Because we have to understand that what we're saying in our heart is, what we're saying are these words are an overflow of our hearts. When someone's flaws are painfully obvious, it's also sometimes difficult to keep them quiet. Yeah? Right? You want to just, boom, oh, I see that, boom, I see that. But if we don't want to get st- stay in that trap, we have to guard our mouths. There's a verse in Proverbs 11, I don't have it up there, but it says this, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in the Spirit keeps a thing covered. Guarding our mouth against destructive speech is part and is key to forgiveness. The next point is take the high road. Take the high road. This is number four. We have to guard our mouths. We have to remember the price of forgiveness. We must forgive. We have to guard our mouth, and we have to take the high road. Well, if there's a high road, that means there's also a low road. If there's a high road, there's also a low road. Proverbs 19.11 says this. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Whoa, you mean somebody does something to me, I I can overlook it? Yeah, you actually could. You can. See, the high road, what do we mean by the high road? I mean the moral or biblical way of living and the moral biblical standard. That's what I mean by the high road. You see, even our laws in this country, somebody, I'm not going to get into philosophical debate or a philosophy and all this other stuff. But we have to understand that morality, the only way this world has any sense of morality is because it's based in here. Guys, from the beginning of time, the only morality is only based because of God, because of what His says and His commands and what He is doing. So every government that has any type of moral standard itself and laws that are written are because... They're an outflow here. Now, we get them wrong sometimes, we know. But this is the high road. This is the high road. This is the standard. When someone offends us, again, we have the right to take one of two roads. The low road, which leads to pain and bitterness, or the high road, which leads to better and a healthier life. Oh my gosh, i got one more quote in here. Look at this. Uh, Don Colbert, an MD, I mean, know who that is. Over 25 years, he's a family physician and a nutritionist. He said that he has personally observed in his time as being a doctor this. I consider bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness to be among the deadliest emotions a person can have. 
They can actually prevent the body from releasing the toxic material that needs to be released. Essentially creating acidic condition in the tissues. And the buildup of toxins in the system can eventually lead to disease. Wait a second. Wait a second. The Lord says forgive so that we can be forgiven. The Lord is commanding us to forgive. Why? Because he wants you to do something hard? No, because he understands there are consequences. He wants the best for you. And he wants you out of that trap. He doesn't want you staying there and getting rooted. Because the longer you're in the trap, guess what? You're alone. You're by yourself. Your oxygen is cut off. And you're slowly dying. Literally. The importance of this message, I think, is so huge. You're literally opening the door for disease in your body when you hold on to unforgiveness. Lord, help us. Lord, help me. And so this morning, I want you to reflect. Are you holding on to unforgiveness in your heart anywhere with anyone? Pray about it. Think about it. Some of you probably know as I'm talking who it is. You're like, oh man, why did I come to church today? Because he wants you free. Why did I come to church? Because he wants you whole. Why did I come to church? Because he wants you healed. He doesn't want you walking in unforgiveness anymore and in bitterness. He has taught us, he has trained us, and we can do it only because he did it. It's the only way we can do it. All right, I'm skipping ahead. Number five, Grace, follow with me, girl. I can say that. She's my daughter. I love you, girl. Get rooted and grow in grace. This is an ongoing process. This is the fifth key of getting out of that trap. We have to remember what Christ did for us. We have to forgive We have to guard our mouths. We have to take the high road, meaning when we don't want to bless someone, we should bless them anyway. When we don't want to say something nice, we could say something nice anyway, or don't say anything at all. How about that? But we have to get rooted and grow in grace. Because what happens is, think about it, when you get rooted somewhere, you're not floating around, moving everywhere. And whether that trap is sitting over there, if you are rooted and grounded in grace, no matter how good that trap looks, no matter how good that peanut butter smells, mm, you are still rooted right here. And you're not going to go over there. You may want to, but you're rooted and you're grounded in grace. Rooted and grounded in grace. What is grace? It's undeserved favor. Spiritual strength. It's a recognition and knowledge and understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Savior, has done this for us. It's undeserved favor and power to do what we could not do on our own. You know what that grace is? It's unmerited favor. But it's the power, the anointing to do what we could not do on our own. And guess what? When that peanut butter comes on our own, But when we're abiding with him and we're walking with him and we're in his word and spending time with him and abiding with him, we become rooted and grounded in his love and in his forgiveness. And when that trap is there, we actually avoid it. But if we're in it, we understand how we can get out of it by being rooted and grounded in grace. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, 
rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. When you are rooted and grounded, you are actually thanks, being thankful for what He has done. Worship team or somebody on the worship team, if you want to come back up. You guys can close. I have no more points. You caught my five. I wrote them down there for you. So I want you guys just to bow your heads this morning. I just want to read. I don't have these scriptures up here, so you can just close your eyes and just receive these scriptures this morning. James 4, 6. Actually, how the Amplified says this. But He gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That is why He says God sets Himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. I'm actually asking you this morning to be humble enough to admit that you've held on to unforgiveness. That you've been stuck in that trap. And that you need the Lord's help to get out this morning. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or come up front. But I am going to ask you just to slip your hand up here in just a minute. Because I want to pray for you. Because it's only by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, getting rooted and grounded in grace, remembering what He's done for us, that we can ever escape that trap of offense. So if that's you this morning, just slip your hand up. No one's looking around. Thank you. Once your hand goes up, you can put it back down. I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Guys, there is freedom today in this. Be humble yourselves here. I know if, you're, if you haven't raised your hand and you, there's someone that you know that the Lord is speaking to you about, about forgiving. Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord. We thank you for the boldness of those who put their hands up today, who said in humility, I am still stuck in that trap and I want to get out of it today in the name of Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray for each of those people watching online, here in the sanctuary, Father, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by that grace, by that anointing, are releasing them from that as they forgive. Father, may they look deep into their heart. And although they may not forget what happened, that they will truly walk in forgiveness and release that situation to you. And Father, I'm reminded of that analogy we used a few weeks ago, that when we actually forgive, 
We are releasing someone. <laughs> and the person that we're releasing is ourselves from being stuck in that trap. So, Father, we know we can't do this without you. And we ask that you assist us in this process because it's work, it's effort. And Lord, may this be a way that we live continuously in a life of forgiveness, in an attitude of forgiveness, just as you do with us. Father, help us to remember the price that you paid. Help us to guard our mouths. Help us to take the high road. Help us to get rooted and grounded in grace. And Father, now, if there's anyone here, eyes closed, still head bowed, you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. That your life can be made anew. A relationship can begin. And it doesn't mean that your life gets easy or simple. The Bible promises abundant life, but he also wants you to be whole, which means as you receive him and make him Lord of your life, there are things you will have to change. But if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, just slip your hand up this morning. I want to pray with you. You paid the price for our sins, dying on that cross. Okay, look up here. Last thing I want to do, I want to pray for anybody who has any type of illness or sickness, because there's way too much of that going around, as evidenced by the attendance today. I honestly, I know there's a lot of stuff going around, so we're going to pray over that. If you are, have any need for healing in any way, just slip your hand up. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Slip your hand up today if you need healing for anything. Whatever it is, just go ahead and place your hand on that problem area in your life. Heavenly Father, we just speak to these bodies in the name of Jesus. We command healing and wholeness. Those who are watching online, we command healing and wholeness. Lord, we thank you for the verse that says that you yourself bore our sins on that tree, having died to sins that we might live for righteousness. By your stripes we are healed. Father, we believe and receive that scripture as not just a healing from a spiritual perspective, but a healing on a physical perspective. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your healing power. You are touching backs. You are touching hands. You are touching necks. You are aligning things that need to be aligned. You are making things flow, whether it be blood flow, Father God, or whether it be nervous systems talking, Father. You are making them operate now in the name of Jesus as they were intended to be. So, Father, I thank you for your healing touch, your healing power. We worship you for it. We give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I have some prayer teams that are coming up here. They will pray with you. Let me just read part of Psalm 91 over you as you go out as a protection and covering from all the stuff that's going on out there. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my refuge. You leave here knowing He is your refuge. 
He is your fortress. My God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snail of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Receive that now in Jesus' name. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy it. We'll see you soon. God bless.